Hey, good morning, FCF. Um, wonder if you can look back in your life and remember some kind of silly times, if you were me anyway, uh, times when for whatever reason, maybe you had a magic marker, maybe even a can of spray paint, and you took that marker or took that spray paint and you put your initials or you put your name on something somewhere. Uh, maybe, maybe this is more toward something you can uh, identify with. Maybe there was some wet cement somewhere and you scratched your initials in that or you wrote your name in that wet cement or, or maybe you were more of the sort to, to carve your name in a tree. We know this is common or carve your initials in a tree or um, maybe on a picnic table somewhere that we shouldn't have done, but nevertheless, we did it. Why do we do this? <laughs> what, what, what's behind it? Now, you know, you might write it off as just saying, well, we're young and we don't know why we do what we do when we're young anyway, but, but, but there might be something more to it than that. Um, why do we, and when I say we, I'm talking about we as human beings, you know, why do we name buildings after ourselves? Why do we name streets after ourselves? Why do we name entire cities after ourselves? I mean, what, what is this all about? Um, why do we work so hard, put in hours, sometimes years of effort to get awards of various types? For example, you know, Olymp Olympians will devote 10, 12, 16 years to get hopefully a gold medal or actors. They want their, they want their Academy Award or their Emmy Award or the singers want their Grammys and, you know, the athletes want to get in the record books and, you know, the team wants to win the World Series or the Super Bowl or whatever it may be. I mean, why? What, what, is, what is behind this? And, and you can go back into ancient times. We find these big, gigantic stacks of rocks in bizarre positions all over the world, megalithic structures. And sometimes it's just a big pile of rocks, like Stonehenge. You know, you just look at that thing as like, what is this all about? And when all the theories are said and done, it seems like on some level, we carve our names, we write our names, we try to get awards, we, we name things after ourselves, we pile up stones and do things like that. It seems like on one obvious level, there's something in us as human beings. We just want to be recognized and we want to be remembered. We'd we, we rather be recognized than remembered, but we actually want both. And I want to suggest to you that it's this, that what we want as human beings, what we are driven to as human beings, is to prove that our existence matters. We want impact. We, we want to see some evidence. We want to convince ourselves, if no one else, that our existence matters and that it mattered. And so we want impact. We, we want to make our mark, so to speak. So. I want to talk to you more about this today because I believe this is something that God uses to try to bring us to Himself and bring us to ourselves, our true selves. And it's, and it's a very powerful, interesting drive. Now Jesus, He speaks very forthrightly about this desire we have for impact. Impact is wanted by every single human being. Now Jesus, when He talks about impact, He used a different word. And so I want to take you now to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And we've been in the Gospel of John. You know, last week we were in 14. And so as you go to Gospel of John, chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8, and then I'm going to throw in verse 16. But once again, I'm going to give you a review. When you are in John's Gospel, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it all takes place in the same evening. It is critical that we understand this when we read 
those chapters. It is Jesus' last evening with his disciples. He has been preparing them for three and a half years, revealing the truth about God in himself, revealing the truth about what a human being is supposed to look like in himself, showing them, training them what the, the most important mission is these days on earth, to see human beings reconciled to their Creator, to see human beings that distrust God be brought back to a place of trusting God, to see human beings that are not following God's will, to be brought back to a place where they are following God's will. They have been trained. They have watched Jesus. He has been their example. He has interacted with them as He has also displayed an example. And so the training is over now. It's been three and a half years, and Jesus is going to go to the cross. Then ultimately, after 40 days of appearing alive after His resurrection, He's going to ascend back to heaven. He's turning the business, as it were. He is turning the work of the kingdom of God over to these individuals, 11 of them, 12. One was Judas, of course. We know he wasn't uh, part of the, the future. But the 11, and then eventually the Apostle Paul, who would carry on this work. Okay, so... It's the last evening. Jesus is literally hours before going to the cross. Now I want to read you starting in John's Gospel, chapter 15, and Jesus is talking. He said, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Keep listening for that word fruit. When you hear the word fruit, think impact. Fruit is Jesus' word for what we call impact. So, he says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit, there it is again, impact, unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Here it is again, this time much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, that you have much impact, showing yourselves to be my disciples, my Talmudim, my followers. Let me show you one last verse, verse 16. You did not choose me, says Jesus, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit, fruit that will last. I chose you, you didn't chose me, says Jesus, that you will bear fruit, you will have impact, an impact that will last. Now, Jesus uses the word fruit, I think it's about seven times in this short passage of Scripture. On this last evening, He's with His disciples. Again, He's preparing them. He's saying, you guys, you guys are going to have impact. You're going to have impact that lasts. I've appointed you. He's saying, I've equipped you. He had trained them now for three and a half years. We read on in John 14, 15, and 16, where He says, too, that since He is leaving them, He is going to give the Holy Spirit to them. In John 14, verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit had been with them in Jesus, but that when He leaves, the Holy Spirit will be in them forever, 
to give them the constant awareness and presence of Jesus. In John 15, verse 26 and 27, he said that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would testify about Jesus and that they would testify, the Spirit would testify to them about Jesus and they would then testify to others about Jesus from the overflow. And then in John 16, I think it's 13 or 14 or 13 through 15, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be given to guide them into all truth, but it's all truth about Jesus. Listen, when the Spirit of God is having His way in the follower of Christ, that follower of Christ is not so much aware of the Holy Spirit as that follower of Christ is aware of Christ. The Holy Spirit is always focusing the attention of the believer, the follower of Christ, and the world when possible to get through to them because in Christ we have the fullness of God, the full revelation of God in physical form. And it's now that God has revealed Himself in Christ that mankind can break free from our fear of God, our distrust of God, and return to God, be reconciled to Him, uh, replace distrust with trust, replace fear with, with a faithful following, and so on. So, okay, so here we see Jesus is talking to these men on this last evening about their impact. He has said on no uncertain terms that he, that he wants them to have impact, that He intends them to have impact, that He's equipped them to have impact. Now, we need to start by asking ourselves, uh, what did Jesus mean by impact? We, we, we would be wise to start with a better understanding of impact. Now, most of us have seen at some point or another uh, a, a bowl of fruit, a fruit basket, for example. And um, if you or I see a fruit basket from a distance, it's really pretty hard to tell if it's real fruit or if it's really, really well done fake fruit. Until you get close enough to it, and you smell it. If you can smell it, you can tell if it's real fruit or fake fruit. If you can touch it, then you know for sure if it's real fruit or fake fruit. And of course, the ultimate test is if you can bite into it and chew it and eat it, then you know it's real fruit. Because real fruit, and listen this carefully, real fruit is something I can take into myself and it produces life in me. When I eat something, mysterious things happen and it starts producing life in me, energy in me. It becomes a part of me. I sort of derive life from it. Real fruit is something that lasts. So we would do well to start when we're asking, what did Jesus mean by fruit? What kind of an impact was he talking about? We need to start, in my opinion, by saying what it's not. Because we live in a world today where human beings that are driven, we are driven to be remembered, we're driven to be recognized, we're driven to prove our existence matters. It's God's drive in us as human beings that drives us. But, and here's where it gets, gets really sad, but there's a lot of artificial fruit that is offered to us. It's offered to us from the cradle all the way to the grave. And some of the artificial fruit is extraordinarily beautiful and extraordinarily powerful and popular and seductive. And it can, it can fool us. It can, just like, just like uh, imitation fruit, it satisfies the eye. It, 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 you have no problem until you get too close to it and you want to take a bite. Likewise, there's a lot of what I'm going to call artificial fruit that if we are not careful, Instead of the fruit, instead of the impact that Jesus is talking about, we will settle for, let me, let me say it again, we will, we will settle for inferior artificial fruit or artificial impact. Now the distinction 
The big distinction between artificial impact and the kind that Jesus is talking about is that the kind Jesus is talking about, it lasts. Artificial fruit, artificial impact does not last. Let me share a verse from you or with you from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. In 1 John 2, 15, we read, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is, listen to this carefully, fading away. doesn't last. The, these these art, artificial, uh, artificial fruit doesn't last. It satisfies for a little while, but it cannot last. It can't make lasting impact on us or on anyone else. These are, for, these are not from the Father, but from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that the people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. In other words, the, the will of God is something that endures. It, it has the stuff of eternity in it. And so the danger for us is artificial fruit. Now, now let me give you an example. Um, once again, let's think of some of these things that have so much popularity and, and, and they're given so much credibility. Let's just think of uh, listings that, that we're pretty familiar with. You know, you always find these listings. Of who's the wealthiest man in the world? I bet you you don't know who the wealthiest man in the world is right now. Most people say it's Bill Gates. It's not Bill Gates. Bill Gates is actually fourth on the list now. It's, uh, it's that Bezos guy. What's his name? Jeff Bezos. Um, Elon Musk is number two on the list. There, there's some French guy I've never heard of, and I guarantee you haven't either, named Bernard Arnault, who is third on the list. But this list of the wealthiest men, it just keeps changing and nobody remembers. Who can remember who was the wealthiest man back in 1980? Okay, none of us do. How about the Grammys? Most of us don't even know who won the most Grammys this year, much less two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. What about the World Series? Even sports buffs that memorize all this stuff, very few remember who won the World Series eight, ten, fifteen years ago. It comes, it goes. These things that we give our lives to, who was president, who was the chief of staff, who is the CEO? It comes, it goes, it's, it doesn't last. It has no lasting impact on the person nor on the others that the person interacts with. It's not the kind of impact that Jesus is talking about. When he's gathering these men around him that have been with him for three and a half years that he has been training, he is now preparing them to carry on the kingdom work after he leaves. And he is not talking to them about these kinds of achievements. Let, let me tell you what our great danger is today. We live in a day and age where if one is following their dream or following their passion, that, that is put on this, this sacred level. It's almost considered untouchable. Uh, you cannot ever suggest that someone these days should not follow their dream or follow their passion. Well, here's what I'm saying based on what Jesus is saying. We might be following our dream and following our passion, but it's not necessarily sacred. If it is not the kind of fruit, if it is not the kind of impact that Jesus is talking about here, then it will not endure. And even though we may have the support of our society for this little bit of time that we're all around here on earth, it really won't matter when the day comes that we stand before our Creator and we have to look at what really mattered, because that's what this is about. We want our existence to matter. We, we want to be recognized. We want to be remembered. But it's more than that. It's way more than that. 
We want our existence to matter, and these things that are so seductive and powerful and popular and have so much push today, they are artificial fruit, as Jesus would term it. They're, they're, they're not something that lasts. They're, they don't endure. They don't get inside and make positive, lasting change on the person that's in pursuit of them nor on people that interact with that person. So then, what, what is authentic fruit? I mean, if we have to beware of artificial fruit, what is the nature of authentic fruit? Now, I've mentioned it already, but I want to mention it again. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus said it this way, You did not cho choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, that is, have impact, fruit that will last, or impact that will last. By the way, who is he talking to? He's talking to the eleven. Now, Judas has already been sent out in the night to do the dirty work of betraying Jesus. Jesus knew it. By the way, in John chapter 6, verse 70 and 71, Jesus said of Judas, he says, Have I not chosen you, and yet one of you is a devil? Jesus never was deceived about Judas's nature. Just because we're chosen to bear fruit, it doesn't mean that we will bear fruit. You might recall, let me read to you, back in John 15, verse 1 and, 1 and 2, 3, it says, I'm the true vine, Jesus speaking of himself, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So here Jesus is saying that there are those that have some connection with him, we're assuming some trust in Him, and yet they never, ever produce the fruit that God appointed them to produce or, or intended them to produce. So I'll read it to you again. The 16th verse, Jesus says, you did, not you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Authentic fruit. Authentic impact lasts, it endures. And let me, let me show you what it consists of. Folks, this is the only way. The only way we can have fruit or impact that lasts, first of all, it has to penetrate into my spirit. It will not last unless it penetrates into my spirit. It must draw me toward my Creator or it will not last. My Creator is eternal. I am finite. So whatever is going to have lasting impact, it needs to penetrate into the deepest part of me, into my heart, into my soul, into my spirit. I'm going to unpack for you in a minute a little bit more what I mean by that. And it must draw me, it must move me toward my Creator. Remember, Jesus said, apart from me, He said, you can do nothing or have no fruitfulness or no impact. So when we're talking about impact or fruit that lasts, it has to penetrate deep inside. Now, let's talk about spirit a little bit. So in other words, whatever is going to have lasting impact on me, it must penetrate into my mind. It must get me thinking about things, considering things. It must get not just my mind, but my imagination and my reasoning, my God-enlightened reasoning faculties, working with my mind and my reasoning faculties and my imagination. My imagination allows me to create possibilities. Could it be this? Could it be that? What would happen if I did this? What if I did that? They, they work together. And then connected to that in our spirit is our conscience. Our conscience monitors, but, but that would be wrong. That would be right. That would be good. That would be better. It is this, this fusing of conscience, of reasoning faculties, of mind. And I'm going to throw one more thing in. 
desire on the core level, core le- not shallow level desires, not, not immediate desires. That, that's, that all, that's that false fruit. That's that artificial fruit. But core level desires. Let me show you what I mean. On, on the surface level, we all have desires for things to just go well, to be easy. But if you look deep within your soul, you have a core desire. I want things to be wonderful. Not just for me. I want them to be wonderful for everybody. And deeper yet, I want them to be wonderful all the time. I don't want anyone ever to suffer from anything. When you get into that level of desire, that's the level that God's Spirit has planted in us. And so you take core level desires with mind, with reasoning faculties, with conscience, illuminating what's right and wrong. And this is Spirit now. So if impact is going to last, it must penetrate into that part of me. It must penetrate my spirit and it must change the way I think about something, change the way I see something, change the way I feel about something to the point that my value system is altered and I am now spontaneously, based on my own decision, as I've looked at this thing, this truth, this truth, another spiritual truth has entered into my spirit and now it has won me over. It has authentically won my trust. I have been converted by it. And now it's going to last because it has become a part of me. I'm like, I was thinking wrong before. Now I'm thinking, I was thinking in purely temporal terms. Now I'm thinking in eternal terms. I was thinking about just me, mine, and and just physical temporal existence. Now I'm thinking about God and eternity and so forth. So fruit that lasts, it must penetrate deep within the spirit of another human being. I wrote a phrase down that I think might be helpful to seal this in your mind a little bit. Lasting fruit must bring changes inside a person that changes outside a person cannot take away. I'm going to read it to you again, and I hope you'll maybe write this down on your own somewhere, because if you sit and let this just kind of fill your heart and mind for a while, it's a powerful statement. Lasting fruit must bring changes inside a person that changes outside a person cannot take away. In other words, what I'm saying is, is lasting fruit or impact, it's when spirit and spirit meet and mind is changed, reasoning is changed, values are changed, desires are changed, and nothing outside, no circumstantial change can change what has authentically gripped my heart and soul inside. That's, that's a spiritual change that endures. Now, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to 11 individuals that we know are still influencing people today. Listen, Matthew is still influencing me and you today. He wrote a gospel. Remember, remember that? Peter's still influencing us today. The, 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 the word is on scholarly levels that Peter was probably responsible as the, uh, the dictator to Mark, John Mark, of the Gospel of Mark. He also wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter. What about John? John, John, <laughs> he wrote the Gospel of John that has probably brought more thousands and hundreds of thousands to Christ than any other gospel. But he didn't, didn't just do that. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He also wrote the book of Revelation, all because the Spirit of God had worked in him in such ways that he could bring back to his mind, back to his memory, what he wanted to, which, by the way, Jesus promised was the work of the Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16 that I urge you to read on your own. So these men that Jesus was talking to 
history has proven out that it indeed, at least with some of them, their fruit or their impact lasts, has lasted and it's lasted down to the day, 2,000 years later, it is still affecting in the most positive, uh, conceivable ways the lives of people. It is still drawing people to Christ our Creator. It is still bringing people from a state of distrust and unconcern about Christ our Creator to a place of concern and absolute wholehearted trust to Christ our Creator. That is what Jesus is talking about, fruit that will last, impact that will last. So we have a better understanding of impact, the way Jesus meant it. So I want to spend the rest of this message now in fixating on how we can be sure of achieving impact, because that's, that's what Jesus, of course, wanted for these men. He, he wanted them to achieve impact that would last. His language makes that very clear. Now I want to read over these verses again to you, and I'm going to start with verse 4, because what we're going to look at now are the conditions the necessary conditions for you and I, the disciples then, and every disciple since, to achieve lasting impact, the kind of impact that God has etched into our spiritual DNA. It's the kind of impact that drives every human being to want to be recognized, remembered, and prove that our existence matters, but it can only be accomplished when we are connected sufficiently to our Creator. We're going to look at these conditions now. So beginning in John 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me. Remember how he started. He said, I'm the true vine and you're the branches. So picture a vine, you know, a grapevine maybe, and, and branches coming off of it. You know and I know those branches cannot produce grapes unless they stay connected to the vine. It is from the flow of the life in the vine that the branches receive their life flow and produce fruit. Verse 4. Remain in me as I also, excuse me, actually I want to read this to you in a different version. Bear with me. I'm going to read this from the complete Jewish Bible because I think it, it, it really seals the point in language that is more understandable today and absolutely more accurate to what Jesus was really talking about. Bear with me. Here we go. John 15, and once again I'm starting in verse 4. Stay let me put, put my glasses on here. Stay united with me as I will with you. <clears throat> For just as the branch can't put, put forth fruit by itself apart from the vine, so you can't bear fruit apart from me. So he starts off in verse 4. Stay united with me. Verse 5. <clears throat> I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who stay united with me and I with them are the ones who bear fruit much fruit, because apart from me, you can't do a thing. Verse 6, unless a person remains <coughs> united with me, he is thrown away like a branch, <coughs> excuse me, and he dries up. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire where they are burned. Verse 7, if you remain united with me and my words with you, then ask whatever you want and it will happen for you. Verse 8, this is my Father, excuse me, this is how my Father is glorified in your bearing much fruit. That is how it will prove, that, that is, excuse me, that is how you will prove to be my Talmudim or disciple or follower. So here we have it, Jesus' conditions. He says that it is impossible to have the, the God-intended impact that we are meant to have as human beings unless we are uh, in a appropriate relationship with our Creator. We are finite. He is infinite. We are dependent. He is not. So, until we 
trust in Christ our Creator, and until we then remain in an active, dynamic, daily dynamic relationship with Him, we won't be able to produce fruit or we won't be able to have the impact that God intends us to have. Now, he was speaking to men that knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, remain in me in some versions, or the version that I like, the complete Jewish version, where it said, remain united with me. What was life like for these men for the past three and a half years of their life? Every single day they were with Jesus. Every single day he was the center of their attention. Every day it was where he wanted them to go, what he wanted them to do, what he would teach them, what miracles they would see that day. Every day it was listening to the tone of his voice. It was looking into his eyes. It was seeing the compassion in his heart. Every day they were fixated on Jesus. They were watching him. They were, they were seeing his character. They were hearing his words. They were learning his teaching. They were taking in his perspective on life. Their entire life for three and a half years was centered every day in Jesus. So what Jesus is telling them, he said, I'm going to leave you. I'm getting ready to go to the cross, and then he's going to ascend back to heaven ultimately. But he promises the Holy Spirit will produce in them the same availability of Jesus that they had had when he was there for three and a half years physically. But, this is the big difference, now instead of seeing Jesus with physical eyes, instead of hearing Jesus with physical ears, they are going to have to learn to uh, sensitize their spirits so that they can connect with the Holy Spirit sufficiently, and the Holy Spirit will give to them, as He will give to you and I, that ability to catch glimpses into the eye of Jesus. Not just what He's saying, but what, what, what was the look in His eye when He said it. Not just what He was saying, but what was the tone of His voice. Um, not just what He was saying, but, but what did His face look like, and what was His body language like. There, there are subtleties that the Word, apart from the Spirit, we will be lacking and they will not have the, the dynamic transforming impact they're meant to have on us. A Talmudim, a disciple, the, the choice of the follower of Jesus, and we need to understand this today because we read the word disciple and I'm not sure what picture comes to our mind, but a disciple was one that so trusted in their teacher, their leader, that all they wanted to do with their life was to become just like their teacher and to carry on his teaching. So Jesus tells us, he says, go into all the world and make disciples, Talmudim, of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We are not to go about seeking to make people Christians because it says in Acts 11:26, the disciples, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. We are called by Jesus to make disciples, to make those that trust Him, and the proof of their trust in Him is they follow Him and they want to be like Him. They were called Christians in Antioch in Acts 11:26 because they were looking and behaving so much like Jesus. Uh, we, we've reversed this thing. So Jesus is talking about disciples, and a disciple above all things wants to be like their Lord. So if we're going to achieve impact, the kind of impact that Jesus intends us to achieve, critical communion with Christ, it calls for critical communion with Christ or critical union with Christ. Just as these men were with Jesus every day of their life for three and a half years, now through the Spirit's activity, you and I as Christ followers need to 
interact and experience Jesus' dynamic presence in our life each and every day. Now, there will be degrees of intensity of that for sure. And a lot of it has to do with, with how well we uh, cultivate and keep uh, a good watch care on our souls, on our spirits, to keep our spiritual sensitivities strong. Let, let, let me say a word here. So, sometimes we, we get this thing all reversed. We, we get the means for the end and the ends for the mean. I, I hear Christians talk about you know journaling and doing devotions and going to prayer retreats and, and all these different things and prayer marches. And, all, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Listen to me carefully. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But they are not the measure of spirituality. They are the means to the end. If those things help you to come into a dynamic interaction with the living Christ by the Holy Spirit, then they are good things. But they can be dead things apart from that. In other words, they're, they're just the means. They're not the end. The end is the dynamic interaction between your spirit and the Spirit of God seeing Jesus. Those are, are just methods to help our spirits grow stronger and be cultivated, whether it's prayer or reading the Word or going to church or giving or serving. They're means to the end of which is to stay in a dynamic uh, interaction with the presence of Christ. It is the, it is the presence of Christ that changed these men. They were, they were not, you know, in a scholastic environment, didactively, you know, memorizing the Old Testament like the Pharisees. I said this before. No. It was the presence of God in Jesus that was just changing these guys. They just saw things. They heard things. They admired Him. They just they saw something so beautiful. They could not help but to be impacted in the deepest part of their spirits. And so it was changing them. And so it was motivating them. And so it was changing their value system. Listen. If you and I are going to have the, the impact that Jesus wants us to have, he, he didn't say that He chose us to bear fruit. He says, I appointed you to bear fruit, and I want you to bear much fruit. If you bear much fruit, oh man, that just blesses all of heaven and it glorifies the Father. But it calls for critical communion with Christ. It's, it's not about Christ. It's, it's, it's not just studying about Christ. My studies about Christ have to bring me to the place where my spirit is interacting with Christ on a regular basis. Listen to the way Paul expressed this in Galatians 2.20. He said, My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, spirit to spirit. Christ in, is alive in His spirit. The two spirits mingle. So I live in this earthly body. He's explaining now what he was talking about. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. It was Paul's trust in Christ that motivated and guided him, directed him every day of his life. And notice, notice the individual uh, emphasis of Paul. He says, Christ loved me. Christ died for me. I warned last week and I'll warn again for the rest of my days. Beware of this false teaching that emphasizes collectivism where, you know, the most loving thing is to be concerned for the collective. That is not from, from God. That is not from heaven. That is from hell. Collectivism has quite a history of the most brutal things that history has ever seen. God cares about individuals. Individuals are valuable, valuable to God. He created us individually and Jesus died to express His love and to win back the trust of each and every individual on this planet. So, if we're going to achieve impact, we have to stay in critical communion 
with Christ, just the way these, these disciples, they were with Jesus every day, and that's what was changing them. That's what was motivating them. So it will be with us. Listen to one verse from 1 Corinthians 6, 17. It says, The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. you got to get this, folks. When, when we're trusting in Christ and interacting with Him, His mind is affecting our mind. I'm thinking the way He thinks more and more. I'm feeling the way He feels more and more. I'm seeing things the way He sees them more and more. I'm motivated by what motivates Him more and more. My value system is more matching His value system. My spirit is being altered. My soul is being altered. It is a true, authentic transformation that is taking place, and that's impact. And when that is having, uh, when God is having the impact on my soul, my spirit that He intends, it inevitably is going to move me out and my spirit, my soul, will have impact on the spirit and soul of others for Christ. And that brings us to the next point. So achieving impact calls for critical communion with Christ. Secondly, it calls for conscientious communication about Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, man, what do you, what do you mean conscientious communication about Christ? I mean something really big. Uh, let, let me read you a verse and then I'm going to unpack this. This is Jesus after 40 days of proving himself alive after the resurrection, he's now about to ascend back to heaven in Acts 1.8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Greek word, martyria. You will be the ones who lay down their life, so to speak, if necessary for me. You will be my witnesses. But then the rest of the verse unpacks in a practical way what does it mean to be uh, the, our witness for Jesus. So let me read it again. You will, receive, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me, telling people about me, that's what it means to be a witness, everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The, Spirit, the Spirit's power is to empower us to tell people about Jesus. And to tell people about Jesus everywhere, uh, whether it's you know in our home circle or, or, or you know or our furthest out circles, it, it is an empowerment. Listen, the Spirit of God causes the presence of Jesus and the character of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus to so grab hold of our hearts that it fills our minds, and what fills our minds and our hearts cannot but help to come out of our mouths. So let me repeat it again. To have the kind of impact that Jesus intends us to have, because remember he was talking to men who would spend the rest of their life telling others about Jesus, and they're still having impact to this day. They had to be those that conscientiously communicated about Christ. So critical, critical communion with Christ is, is important, but then that produces conscientious communication about Christ. Now here, here's what I mean by conscientious communication about Christ. It is way too common today, and frankly, I'm just going to say something that might, might frustrate some of you or ruffle your feathers a bit, but I, I don't mean to. I'm just going to be honest. I am so sick today of those that will call themselves Christians be proud of hiding that they are Christians. Uh, they, they, they want people to, to, oh, I would have never known that you were a Christian, and they are kind of proud of this. They hide it. Uh, they they want to. They say they want to cross over, you know, and they want to affect the secular culture. Well, I'm going to tell you, 
That's not what the Spirit of God calls or equips those that follow Jesus to do. That, that, that's not the way. The last thing He calls us to do and equips us to do is to hide our allegiance, our oneness with Jesus. And yet there are too many who call themselves Christians today that are proud of the fact that you can't tell by what they write or what they say or what they're doing in, in the business world or what they're doing in the music world. You can't tell for sure that they are overt, completely sold out Christ followers. And that should be something that is obvious. Conscientious communication. Those people that call themselves Christians ought to be looking, looking for ways to intelligently and powerfully communicate how Christ has, first of all, affected their lives and why they believe other people's lives would benefit from opening and considering them, uh, Jesus for themselves. There's too many today that are silent and proud about being silent about Jesus. Oh, people can just see from my life. No, they won't. They'll just think you're just some, some nice person. They will not think that you are a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit power is for you and I to tell people everywhere about Jesus. Make no mistake, that is a part of being a disciple. When Jesus spoke earlier about some branches that don't bear fruit, they're just kind of broken off and, and the Lord kind of tossed them to the side. They, they become a distraction. They, they get in the way of the work of God because when the Spirit of God is active in us, we are going to be those that conscientiously communicate about Christ. What else do I mean by conscientious communication about Christ? All right, here again, I don't want to make you mad, but I'm probably going to offend some of you. The other thing we do as Christ followers when it comes to communicating about Christ is we communicate in this weird Christian cliche code that means nothing to anyone and impacts no one except those that know the code. You say, Randy, what are you talking about? Oh, okay, okay. We have people today, probably real followers of Christ, that um, when they do something and it gets recognized or whatever, they'll be quick to say, oh, not about me. It's not about me. All the glory goes to God. God gets all the glory. It's all about Him. Glory to God. It's not about me. Y you know what? I suppose that's better than silence, which was the first error I dealt with, but it's very weak. Folks, it, it shows me a person that has not gotten alone with God and God's Spirit and, and has not allowed the Spirit of God to show them the powerful changes that God and Christ has made in them so that they can communicate it effectively to someone else. Let, 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 let me show you what I mean. One, one of the things I learned many, many years ago, I, I spent 17 years doing construction work. And um, many of those years, I guess it was about 13 of those years, I was a Christ follower. And so I would look for ways every day that I might have an opportunity to share Christ with the individuals I work with. And construction work is, you know, you, you got some rough characters out there. So I would pray and I would watch and I would wait. And, and then when the conversation would open itself, well, well, then I would start to try to find ways to take it further. And one of the things that I learned to do, I would go home at the end of the day and I would think and pray and I would write down uh, what I might say the next time I talk to this person. And I might anticipate what they might say. Then, I, then I'd anticipate what I would say to them. I would literally write it out. I would write out the ways that Christ had changed me, that how God had taken me from, 
you know, just being a, a directionless person that, that was chronically insecure and angry and love-starved to a person that finally had someone that would never leave him and forsake him and someone that was, was starting to heal, starting to grow, starting to, to learn to, to not just care about themselves primarily, but at least learning to care about other people. I, I would talk to them about the concrete differences that Christ made in my life. But you see, you and I have to first sit down and, and write that stuff out. We have to process it ourselves before we're ever going to be able to say it to someone else. Conscientious communication about Christ is powerful. And I look at the opportunities that we waste. What if, what if people that were, were maybe you know, selfish and greedy or addicted or full of hate or full of prejudice or whatever it might be would sit down and get along with God and write down and say, you know, when I saw the beauty of Christ, I could no longer be selfish. When I saw the beauty of Christ, uh, my greed and my desire for possessions, it, it just seemed shallow and empty and ugly. And, and now I wanted to give. I wanted to serve. I saw my prejudice. I saw my hatred. I, I, I saw it for its hideousness. And all I wanted to do was build bridges with people. If we get along with God, and we write down the changes that Christ has made in us, put words to these changes, write them down, then we will be able to conscientiously communicate them with their mouths. I want to tell you one of the things I learned. If I don't write something down, chances are I won't be able to say it out effectively. Now, most of you, here, here's the sad truth here. Most of you are not going to do this. But for you that will do this, you will start getting along with God and you will start asking God, show me, Lord, the way you've changed me and the, the things you've been doing in my life and that you have done. And you start writing them down. You start writing down your story, your, your story of how Christ is changing you. You will be better prepared to communicate effectively, conscientiously to other people. You, you don't need these shallow cliches that mean nothing to anyone. Oh, give God the glory. Uh, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. None of that stuff is effective, folks. It's only effective with, with you know, those that, are, that know the language, know the code. God has called us to speak to people everywhere about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is eagerly awaiting to get a hold of our minds, our thoughts, to, to get us to concentrate that He can start to make us effective communicators. One of the saddest statistics that, that you, know, you can find it every single year in church statistics, it is this, that so few people actually share Christ with others. So few people that call themselves Christ followers share Christ with others. And I'll go further. Those that do often do it in a pretty slipshod way. We can do better. God wants us to be not just those that bear fruit, but that bear much fruit. Why not start this year out saying, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to find words. I'm going to find ways. I'm going to be praying that God will open doors for me, that I can share the truth about God and the truth about life, and I can talk to people about what Christ has done to me and in me, and I can talk to them about Christ and what He wants to do for them. And you, can, I, you and I can both do this because the Holy Spirit waits to give us that kind of ability to communicate. Conscientious communication. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me, meaning Jesus, everywhere. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do with us, and that's the fruit that Jesus was talking about. Because when we talk to people about Christ, our Creator, and when their spirit opens to His Spirit, they are eternally changed. Those that come back to Him in trust are eternally changed. That is fruit that lasts. They are never the same again.
Now I want to share a phrase that I wrote down about this conscientious processing of Christ's impact on me helps create conscientious communication about Christ to others. It's a little wordy, let me read it again. Conscientious processing of Christ's impact on me. I have to sit down and look at the ways God has changed me. Conscientious processing of Christ's impact on me helps create conscientious communication about Christ to others. For you that do this, for you to take the time and you start writing some things out and allowing the Spirit of God to teach you, you'll, you'll know the truth of what I'm saying. Now I want to close out with um, a pretty simple thought. Do you have a face or some faces that come to mind? In other words, if I, if I were asking you, was there another human being or set of human beings that you are the fruit of their labor? In other words, they were Christ followers before you and they interacted with you, and through their interaction with you, somehow they opened you, somehow they brought you an awareness of Christ, somehow you ended up putting your trust in Christ and becoming His follower because of their interaction with you. Are, are there faces, maybe one, maybe it's a few faces that God used people, they were fruitful, and you are the fruit. Can you think of those faces? Take a minute. Maybe think about uh, praying for them and maybe even send them a note or something like that. Thank God for them. Now here's the, the second question, and it's more, to me, it's more significant. Can you think of fa a face or faces that you are the one? You are the one who God's Spirit has so filled that you affected this other human being or set of human beings so that their thoughts about Christ are forever changed. They went from distrusting Him to trusting Him. They went from not caring about Him to caring about Him supremely. Have you, have you borne fruit in the life of another person? Now, we're all called and equipped and gifted to do this on different levels. I, I understand that. You know, some are called and equipped and gifted to do it with hundreds of people and thousands, and some, our assignment is just one person. One, it might be our, our, our own children, our own family members, whatever it is. But can you, can you think of one face at least that God has borne fruit through you into the life of another person? And if not, if not, please start praying and asking and seeking and knocking that God will give you someone that you can influence, that you can impact toward Christ, toward the eternal destiny that God intends for each and every one of us to have. I want to close today by uh, urging you to take advantage of what we have with the new year. I mean, time is a funny thing. You know, we, we, we start a new year at January 1 for whatever reason. But nevertheless, it does give us a, a place to stop and to start. Take advantage and say, by the grace of God, this will be the year. I will, I will enter into this impact. I will become the fruitful follower of Christ that He always intended for me to become. And I want that. And I want that. And, I, and I'm, go I'm going to do everything in my power this year to stay into critical communion with Christ and to conscientiously communicate with others about Christ. This year will be different. May the Spirit of God etch that in each of our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you would just involve us, involve us at all in your beautiful, lovely, 
redemptive healing work. Thank you, thank you that we, we are allowed to do this. <sighs> that we're allowed to be your representatives, we're allowed to be your servants, we're allowed to speak in your name, we're allowed to tell others about you. And then there's on top of it all your assurance that you know, this fruit, this impact will last right into eternity. Thank you that you have given us this, this blessed opportunity. And oh, Father, I, I pray that uh, for those of us who have kind of lost, lost our edge, maybe become a little jaded, maybe we've even become hopeless, that we could ever be more effective in this regard. May the Spirit of God bear witness that, that you're calling us to a new era, a new, a new time of fruitfulness. Um, may this be true in all of our lives. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.